This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the Brian Kilmeade Show on this Thursday. Busy, busy day. Of course, on tap, Dan Bongino makes sense of what's happening with law enforcement in America, as well as he knows uh, things politically, as well as Florida. Florida seeing a, a modest spike in coronavirus patients. Uh, not saying their deaths, that's saying flat, thankfully. And Ben Dominici will be with us. Not only was he censored this week, he also had a chance to read John Bolton's book. I want to get his take because it hasn't been released yet and it's being held up in court, perhaps. We'll have to see. But it's kind of fruitless to sue John Bolton, unless you just want to make sure he didn't make any revenue off it, like Matt Bissonnette, the Navy SEAL, and the Bin Laden raid. Uh, but it's basically out. The Wall Street Journal, New York Times writing out excerpts, and we'll bring you some of that. Uh, some bad news. 1.5 million Americans filed jobless claims uh, last week. Uh, 760,000 applied for that $600 pandemic money. So that, I think, is a, a bit of an enticement. But since, since uh, we are waiting for the end of the month, to find out what's going on in June, see if it's as positive as retail sales, as well as unemployment has been, uh, uh, jobs added was from uh, uh, at the end of May. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Initially, they were the attacks were on the Confederate monuments and people kind of looked the other way. But it's really interesting to see how quickly they've metastasized into attacks on Washington, attacks on Jefferson, and I think most tellingly, attacks on Abraham Lincoln. War on history. Dinesh D'Souza. Now the statue's coming down, school curriculum changing. More 1619 than 1776. This is disastrous for our future. I'll try to explain. Number two. These officers will not be found guilty. It's because at that stage, unfortunately, Mr. Brooks turned and shot the taser at the officer. This is a rush to judgment. This is to satisfy a crowd. Wow, Ted Williams letting him have it. Cops charged with murder, multiple accounts, and emotions explode in Atlanta as both sides are charged up. New video shows this was supposed to be and was en route to being a normal traffic stop. Uh, even the president weighs in. Number one. This is not Trump's fault. It's not Obama's fault. This is a nation that needs to heal itself. Police reform is there to be had. But we don't need to be lectured to uh, by Democrats regarding police reform and our efforts because they had a chance and they did nothing. Right. Uh, we now know uh, that the Republicans have a, have a plan. Uh, they have released it yesterday. And then one Democratic senator in particular takes a shot at the man who helped write it and lead it, Senator Tim Scott. We'll also bring you the latest when it comes to police reform and the demands in Portland and Seattle and the chaos that has happened in both those cities that Democrats have to sort out. So let's get started. You might say in the House, Nancy Pelosi, we don't want to defund the police. 
You might say if you're Joe Biden, I don't want to defund the police, but your base does. Black Lives Matters does. And in cities like Portland, San Diego, Los Angeles, New York, Seattle, they're demanding it. In fact, in Portland, they want $15 million. $15 million out of the police budget was not good enough for them. They want social workers to do their policing. I've never seen people so clueless and emotion-filled in my life. I mean, it's going on now for weeks. In Portland last night, they tried to shut down a highway. They're trying to set up their own autonomous zone. That's been a disaster for everyone. The people of Seattle has been a disaster for the actual people in the autonomous zone, down, down to three blocks. When it comes to police reform, let me give you an idea of what's out there. So it's called the Justice Act on the Republican side. And uh, right now they're going to bring it into committee. And we hope that Democrats play a role in this because I would like to see something done. I have no interest in political stakes and who's right and who's wrong. I want to see something done, positive. I'm encouraged about the Republican plan because at least law enforcement's at the table. So here's what they roughly said to do. They beef up requirements for law enforcement to compile use of force reports. They track the no-knock warrants. They don't eliminate it. Encourage agencies to do away with chokeholds because they want to give them the ability to use it if your life's at stake. Provide funding for de-escalization training and establish a duty-to-intervene protocol. Okay, this is awesome. Extend that academy a few weeks. Give people more psychological training. How to uh, talk people off a ledge. Make everyone have that expertise. Not only will that help police forces, when you want to get a job after you've been a a policeman, a policewoman, you're going to be more attractive uh, to, to the office space. Bipartisan proposal to establish a National Criminal Justice Commission and extend funding for various uh, federal law enforcement programs. Keep in mind, locally, they're the ones really doing the, de- doing the deal. What the federal government can do is provide incentives and a framework to do it right. And the incentives are money. You extend your academy, you include that curriculum, you're going to get the checks. You provide transparency when it comes to people having uh, cops having discipline problems, you're going to get the checks. Uh, we find out and we can grade different cops. Now, as usual, uh, Democrats have a different idea of what to do. Their bill called for the creation of a nationwide federal database that will document misconduct, and they're already doing that in New York. Under, uh, under Scott bill, they'll do it locally, and they'll do it uh, through the FBI. Uh, they also have a situation where they're going to ban chokeholds. They also want to have limited immunity uh, removed from cops. This is a no-go. This is a poison pill for any type of legislation because the President of the United States said uh, immunity needs to be with police officers. Hard enough getting quality people now. Can you imagine if they thought they could be sued on every normal uh, traffic stop? So Tim Scott has his press conference. Different Republicans speak. The details get out. And Dick Durbin takes to the floor. Cut three. So what we say on the Democratic side is we cannot waste this historic moment, this singular opportunity, Let's not do something that is a token, half-hearted approach. Let's focus instead on making a change that will make a difference in the future of America. Did you hear it? Token, half-hearted approach. Okay. Senator Tim Scott's the only black member, uh, GOP member of the Senate. By the way, Democrats have two. They act like they're this, uh, they have 25. They have two. So Tim Scott hears token. We all know what that means. And he has had it cut for To think that on this day, as we try to make sure that fewer people lose confidence in this nation, to have the senator from Illinois refer to this process, this bill, this this opportunity to restore hope and and confidence and trust 
from the American people, from African-Americans, from communities of color, to call this a token process hurts my soul. Uh, obviously, getting emotional there. Dick Durbin uh, apologized through his spokesperson, and then locally, Fox 32 in Illinois said this. Cut five. I said we need to seize this historic moment. We shouldn't do something that's token, half-hearted. We have a chance to make significant change. Let's do it. He took the word token as an offensive word. I went up to him on the floor and I said, Tim, I respect you and like you so much. If it offended you, I apologize. I don't know if he's accepted. It's not up to me to say that. But next thing you know, Democrats are saying, well, we're not going to do this. My hope is Senator Schumer comes in and, and says, let's roll up our sleeves and let's get this done. So you have a Senate bill. You have a House bill who I hope uh, got out of committee 2414. They only need a one vote margin. So they're probably not going to deal with Republicans. Wish it was different. But Republicans did the same thing. So Mitch McConnell, I've never seen him so motivated. Mitch McConnell was saying, I want to get this done. I want to get it done before July 4th. Cut seven. After we do two circuit judges who are queued up either this week or early next week, we're going to turn to the Scott bill. I'm going to file cloture on the motion to proceed. And our Democratic friends, if they want to make a law and not just try to make a point, I hope they'll join us in getting on the bill and trying to move forward in the way the Senate does move forward when it's trying to actually get an outcome. Yeah, uh, and we can do it. Uh, he knows how to do it. Chuck Schumer knows how to do it. Does Chuck, Chuck Schumer want to give the Republican Senate a victory? I don't consider it a victory just to pass a piece of legislation that still has to be conferenced. I don't. But would he? I mean, there is an indication that uh, the Democrats would try to negotiate for more in the Senate. And, of course, there's room for negotiation. There's also a lot of overlap. So let's see what happens. Uh, we're going to take a time out. I'm going to talk more about this with Dan Bongino. But with Dan, I also want to uh, with Dan, I also want to talk about what happened in Atlanta and the 11 count indictment of that police officer that has the so-called blue flu go out through his unit and throughout that city. And when you, it's a controversial situation, it's almost all caught on video. It really leaves very little up for interpretation. But for the legal experts, some are absolutely outraged about what's going on. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Don't move. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. 
In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com slash path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com slash path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Mr. Brooks, on the night of this incident, was calm, he was cordial, and really displayed a cooperative nature. We concluded and considered it as uh, one of our important considerations that Mr. Brooks never presented himself as a threat. Rayshard Brooks is the person he's talking about who lost his life that night, Saturday night in Atlanta. Paul Howard Jr. was the person talking to the Fulton County DA as he decided to file 11 charges against Garrett Wolf, uh, who was the officer who pulled the trigger after being aimed at and shot at, we think, uh, by his own taser. Joining us now is Dan Bongino, former NYPD cop, a Secret Service guy, uh, an all-around great guy. Uh, did they do the right thing in Atlanta yesterday, Dan? The right thing. I mean, what they did was outrageous. I mean, I don't have the adjectives on a family-friendly radio show to describe what happened. I mean, listen, this district attorney seems to have significant problems of his own. Um, You know, ethics investigations, uh, serious allegations there. Now, that's entirely relevant to what happened in this case. This is a man who had to be elected who couldn't even win his own election in a runoff. He got 41 percent of the vote. Which, which obviously begs the question, uh, was this politically motivated? I mean, Brian, is this not fair game? I mean, the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, that was investigating this shooting, wasn't even aware there was a press conference going on. They've drawn absolutely no investigative conclusions whatsoever about this incident. Uh, again, albeit tragic with Mr. Brooks, but no conclusions whatsoever. Do you understand how unprecedented that is? So now you're telling me if you're a police officer and you're engaged in a use of force incident in the course of your your job, again, however tragic it may be, that results in the death of a subject that before an investigation's even concluded and, may I add, has barely started, that you are subject to imprisonment without bail and charges that could result in the death penalty? I mean, even to the most radical leftists listening to your show right now, they're quietly acknowledging and shaking their heads. They won't do it publicly because they'll never admit they're wrong, that what I'm saying on your show right now is absolutely accurate. This was outrageous, an overcharge. I mean, this, this guy should resign tomorrow, Paul Howard. This was a disgrace. Uh, these violations could give, give him life in, uh, in prison without parole. And right now, you're in a situation where if they were trying to defuse the situation by ruining one cop's life, it's not going to work because most juries are not going to convict on this. Everything's caught on video. Also, one of the charges is not delivering, not rendering timely aid. He's on video saying Mr. Brooks breed, giving, uh, giving, um, uh, giving emergency aid to him to try to get him breathing again. And you also saw a situation where everything was calm into Brooks tried to get away. So if you're trying to convict someone, you got some problems. Uh, Some problems. I mean, one of the charges, uh, Mr. Howard, the district attorney for that county, filed the underlying basis for the charge 
was that the officer fired at Mr. Brooks and there were happened to be people around and that that may have created some kind of an assault scenario? Uh, I mean, is this real? Are we living in like bizarro Superman land? So you're suggesting, just to be clear, that any time there's an incident that could involve the discharge of a firearm by a law enforcement officer and there happened to be people around, not that you shot at them, not they were in danger of being hit, but they're around, that the police officer committed an underlying crime of some kind of assault? I mean, if you think this is reasonable, you, you really seriously need to seek a mental health professional tomorrow. You understand you're not going to have a police officer put hands on anyone in the future for any reason whatsoever. You think the Ferguson effect was bad? You think the Baltimore effect after Freddie Gray was bad? You are going to see that geometrically expanded, and cops are not going to want to touch anybody. What You could go to jail. You could suffer the death penalty well, for touching someone, and it escalates, God forbid, and you have to engage with your firearm. I mean, this is so – these guys Minneapolis- shouldn't have been charged at all. Forget about what they were charged with. They Min- shouldn't have been charged at all. Dan Bongino, uh, Minneapolis has already seen a major uptick in crime. Uh, you got to just, of course, Minneapolis, uh, their, their, uh, their law enforcement, their police force has been ridiculed from, and, and beat up from pillar to post. Now they're saying, okay, you got it, you got it on your own. Uh, same thing happened in Baltimore, too. So Paul Howard Jr., part of what he's saying is that one guy had a gun, the other guy had a taser. Cut 22. We have also concluded that Roth was aware that the taser in Brooks's possession, that it was fired twice. And once it's fired twice, uh, it presented no danger to him or to any other persons. So yeah. in, that, uh, in that moment, it's not a danger. By the way, is a stun gun dangerous? Well, if you, according to the New York Times, uh, yes, they are in fact lethal many times. According to Reuters, yes, where there have been many lethal incidents. Um, and according to Paul Howard himself, I'll be playing a cut of Paul Howard on my show today, where just a couple of weeks ago, when the Atlanta PD engaged a couple of uh, young males in a car with a taser, Paul Howard is on video himself saying, of course, the taser is a lethal weapon. So which Paul Howard are we believing? Paul Howard, this is a lethal weapon, or Paul Howard, this is not a lethal weapon? I'm just asking. I mean, again, to your liberal listeners who are, you know, have skulls six feet thick right now, which Paul Howard are we listening to? Paul Howard from two weeks ago, tasers are lethal, or Paul Howard now? And by the way, I don't even accept the assumption there by Mr. Howard. I don't even accept the assumption that the officer knew, in fact, that was a taser. He may have. He may not have. And if you look... If you look at the video and you listen to how a taser sounds, of course, Howard hasn't because he's not interested in any of that. There's a popping sound that sounds familiar like a a firearm. And, Brian, when you – here's an interesting story for you. When tasers are discharged by law enforcement, it's not uncommon for people who witness the incident to believe the subject was shot by a firearm because the taser sounds similar. And people don't pay attention to the details. They don't. They, They get tunnel vision. Your pupils dilate. Adrenaline goes up. Why would you? Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Why would you think the officer knew it was a taser? 
say, well, they stole it from him. No, they didn't right. steal the taser from him. He stole it from the other officer. He could have thought that was a gun. And one more thing, because I know your listeners are always thinking of, uh, you know, well, the taser's yellow. Yeah, not the front of it. The cap of the taser is black and looks a whole lot like a firearm. And when you're turning around to shoot it in someone's face, what are you looking at? You're looking at the black part. You're not looking at the yellow part of the taser. But Howard doesn't know that. He's just saying that, again, to inflame the situation. Dan, real quick, 10 seconds. Are you surprised there's a blue flu yesterday in Atlanta? I'm, I'm stunned it wasn't worse. That's the only surprise. I'm stunned anybody showed up for work. I wish it weren't, but no, that's my only surprise. Most sat in their cars and didn't work uh, in accordance uh, with their guy that's now looking at life in prison, maybe even the death penalty. Dan Bongino, look forward to your podcast today. Know your appearances on the network. Thanks so much. Ben Dominici of The Federalist coming up next. And then your calls, 1-866-408-7669. Busy Thursday. Stay with us. News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. There are definitely feelings amongst conservatives on Capitol Hill that big tech is uh, slanted against conservatives and they are treating conservatives unfairly. As you mentioned, the NBC collaboration with the foreign advocacy group to try to deplatform the Federalist and Zero Hedge, which I believe was deplatformed for its comment section, when in fact Google does not have to worry about that same liability. They enjoy that uh, liability under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. Well, that's the story, and it's a bigger story than just The Federalist, and that's what Ben Dominich has said as publisher of The Federalist, and he wrote a column about it today. This is a canary in a coal mine moment. And Ben, when did you find out that Google, alerted by NBC, uh, NBC was targeting you and your, and your uh, newspaper and your magazine? Well, we found out about it, Brian, on uh, Monday and Tuesday, and uh, basically this uh, U.K.-based journalist who really is, doesn't seem to be a journalist, looks more like an activist uh, who I had never heard of, uh, basically took this uh, collection of things from some small leftist group uh, in the U.K. Uh, to Google and basically said, hey, look at this thing. Uh, don't you think this runs afoul of your rules? And someone in the Google hierarchy uh, made a determination that, oh, yes, this is this is something we can use as the justification for what amounts to a digital assassination attempt uh, and to take uh, to, to deplatform uh, a major publication in the form of the Federalist from uh, their ad network. I, I think this really is a warning shot for everyone who is on the uh, the uh, center-right, but is also someone who just questions the established leftist narrative about this particular moment, that if you go down the road of being a contrarian, if you question anything about their narrative, they will come after you and they will use every tool at their disposal to do that. Unbelievable. Uh, a couple of things on this. This was your comment section. So when people comment on articles <laughs> that you write, that that that's where they so you of course you're not going to curate that you're not going to edit that this is what people think about what you think right yes yes it's absolutely and and here's the thing i mean you know frankly we have 
millions of readers every week. We have tens of thousands of comments that are written every week. Uh, and so it would just be an, an enormous task for us to uh, be expected to moderate that kind of uh, comment section. We've never moderated it. Uh, I will say we've taken the comment section down for the moment, but only for the moment. We are going to bring it back, and I have to uh, uh, tell you, insist that you know that's absolutely something that we are not going to let uh, Google prevent us from happening. But look at their own situation. I mean, uh, how could you evaluate the comments on any YouTube thread, you know, and assume that that would be something that is, uh, in, in, you know, in any way uh, going to pass muster with Google's own rules? They're total hypocrites on this point. So, Ben, what about people listening right now? And I'm just uh, being the contrary. And I know I understand the power of Google. But a lot of people say, I just go to the Federalist on my own. I don't need to search for Google. What impact does Google really have? Well, I'll tell you this. We actually have, thankfully, uh, uh, enough ad support outside of Google Ads uh, that we are you know, fine even if we lost them. Uh, but that's not the case for most uh, websites. Lots of websites depend entirely on Google Ads. We have the resources to fight something like this, and, and we have the connections to be able to uh, make this a big deal. And we certainly appreciate people like you for highlighting the story. Uh, but not everybody does. If you just have a, a, a blog, a small website, uh, if you're just a, a professor or a writer, uh, then Google deplatforming you can be a loss of your entire livelihood. This is a situation that I think is going to merit some uh, real looks from uh, the higher-ups in Washington uh, who have long been skeptical about what Google has been doing when it comes to bias and now have a perfect example of just how biased they're willing to be. So, Ben, just I want to talk to you a little bit about news of the day and just uh, to, to spread this out. I heard right after the 2016 election from a lot of people who know people at Silicon Valley that they were embarrassed. They were embarrassed about the role that Facebook played and Twitter played in Trump's victory. And they were going to somehow redeem themselves with the so-called elite crowd, the leftist elite crowd. Is this a sign they're doing it? Absolutely, that's what this is. I mean, there's no question. It's a situation where the folks in Silicon Valley are embarrassed. Uh, they believe that the Trump campaign, frankly, uh, was better at using their products uh, than the Hillary Clinton campaign and the, and the Democrats. And they're worried that the same thing is happening again right now. Uh, and I think that they really understand that the president's path to reelection depends on uh, using these platforms that connect with so many people, uh, as we all do every day. Uh, and I think that they are very much mindful of uh, not wanting to be saddled uh, with any kind of blame from their leftist West Coast friends about what they uh, what they allowed to happen uh, if the president gets reelected using these same tools again. I, I think this is a situation where in the context of, of this election, you are going to continue to see attempts to shut down anyone who questions the established leftist narrative as we have at the Federalist when it comes to things like the Russia collusion hoax and other major questions that have dogged uh, the president at the behest of this corporate media landscape. So one thing that uh, all good newspapers slash magazines do in the editorial section or deep thinkers like yourself, they get out of the play-by-play and they talk about the big picture. And the big picture is what we're seeing now play out in hyperspeed. And that is the war on history. First it was Columbus, then it was the Confederates, then it was Andrew Jackson because he had a, a rough history with American Indians. They're trying to take him down out of New Orleans, trying to, they already defiled his grave in the Hermitage. They're trying to take him out uh, in Jacksonville, named after him. They're going after Washington, renaming schools. And in the curriculum in Buffalo in particular, they're going to start pushing 1619 over 1776. 
What's going on here? You know, is this all about it, George it, Floyd or something else? It's well beyond George Floyd. George Floyd is a situation that, you know, I mean, what our response to that should be, uh, you know, to question the effectiveness of police brutality and, and our response to it when we see it happen. This is not what's going on here. This is a situation where the radical left is using this particular moment to push their agenda in ways that Americans, frankly, do not support. The majority of Americans do not support these types of moves that you're saying, but the elite media corporate uh, establishment does they the pulitzer prize committee and the new york times and and those folks they absolutely support uh this radical approach to uh, um, uh to our education policy and you know we've we've got to push back against it we've got to guard against it brian because otherwise the left will get away with this it's unbelievable that we have to you know sometimes you have people who root for the home team so much they see no faults with their home team we have just the opposite in this country. We're going out of our way to point out things that are disturbing about our past, that aren't perfect about our present. I've never seen anything like it. The rest of the world is looking at us and going, what's, the, what's their problem? They're number one, number one economy, number one military, the destination for all aspiring people around the world. And then the people here are so ungrateful, they're tearing it down, denial and, denying and apologizing for it. It's unacceptable, Brian, and it's something that comes after decades of ahistorical approaches to truth that have been advocated for by the radical left within both our education establishment, the K-12 through level, and uh, within higher education. We always knew there would be ramifications for this. I know that you and others have warned against it, uh, and I think that what we're seeing right now is the consequence of it. A group of people who want to tear down many of the things that helped make America a great nation and a great people. And unless we stand up and defend these things, they will come for them, and they will eventually come for the people who supported those statues being there in the first place. They will come for people like you and me, and they will do so using every weapon at their disposal. In the famed uh, press conference that uh, Donald Trump, for the most part, wants back, I imagine, about Charlottesville in 2017, he said, okay, Robert E. Lee now, uh, what's next, Washington, Jefferson? And everyone said, oh, come on, what's he talking about? We're in 2020, and they're coming for both. Monroe, exactly. Madison, uh, you're on deck. Uh, real quick, if, I'm re- if I understood your Twitter feed correct, you read John Bolton's book. You know what's yes, in sir. it. You, I actually quoted you today, and you said you found it very bitchy. Um, uh, here's what Bolton said on a- and you got me in trouble, by the way, Ben. Uh, here, here's what John Bolton said on ABC, cut 31. I don't think he's fit for office. I, I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. There really isn't any guiding principle uh, that I was able to discern other than uh, what's good for Donald Trump's reelection. Is that basically what you get through the whole thing? Brian, this is uh, this is like a mean girl's burn book of of animosity on the part of of John Bolton. It's kind of shocking, I have to say. I mean, just the, the degree to which I think he's he's tone deaf about how it comes across. Uh, and I'll quote uh, you know somebody who you know I don't always agree with, David Ignatius, the Washington Post uh, columnist, just put out a piece this morning, pointing out that. He doesn't go more than a dozen pages in this book without criticizing Jim Mattis. He craps all over Nikki Haley. He says terrible things about all, basically everyone he has disagreements with. And in every anecdote, he is the hero, the, the sort of no, noble moral leader, the guiding force of, of, of civilization. And it's, it's just kind of over the top, Brian. I mean, I, I think 
Look, I mean, uh, the left will seize on certain aspects of this to try to use it against the president, because that's the whole function of this. Uh, but to be honest, I think that Bolton is someone who has burned so many bridges with this that he's not going to be trusted by future administrations uh, to not put out something that is basically the definition of a catty D.C. memoir that just says uh, it would, should ought to have the subtitle, I was right about everything. <laughs> but, but, Ben, the thing is, I feel terrible because I like John Bolton, He's been a valuable guest on every uh, hot issue internationally, especially foreign policy. And he would and he's a hardworking guy, doesn't care how he's viewed. And I would think that he'd be the one of the last people to write a book like this. I, I'm stunned you know, by I, this. this. He has kind of can you imagine if you and I are having a private conversation and I say something like, you know what? I wonder about my producers at, at on uh, on the Brian Kilme radio show or Fox and Friends. Then you write a book and saying Brian Kilmer is disparaging his producers. I'm just talking openly. He says that he wants to. He goes. I think a lot of um, these uh, a lot of these um, uh, 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 journalists should be put in jail. That's a, obviously it's a casual conversation. Never thought it was going to pop up in a book. You know, I think that uh, Bolton's level of personal animosity here is surprising to a lot of people, not just you, Brian. Uh, And I think that the main takeaway that people are going to have from this book is, you know, it's going to be used, as I said, by the left, but it's also going to be something that is, uh, I think, looked back upon as being something that lowered the opinion of a lot of people's attitudes towards John Bolton. I read a portion of it to uh, someone who's worked with Bolton repeatedly for a long time, and she was horrified at it, uh, just that he would stoop to this level. And so it's, it's really disappointing, I have to say. All right. Now, how's Megan doing? How's she feeling? She's, she's doing well. Uh, uh, the pregnancy's going well. Everything's looking good. And we, uh, you know, it's, it's not great always to, uh, I think, you know, have a child during the midst of a global pandemic, uh, but I view it as a uh, as a <laughs> something that builds character. So, so, uh, yes. uh, so we're getting through it, and things are going well. Let's uh, let's hope as a nation we get character out of this, and you have a healthy baby. Uh, it's always great. We always miss Red Fox to tell her the door is still open for the power I have, whatever that is. Uh, ben, thanks so much. Uh, and I'm Thank glad you, you're Brian. talking about what's happened to you. And I believe that you were right. It is canary in the coal mine. You've got to keep fighting. Ben Dominic, thanks so much. Thank you. All right. When we, you got it. When we come back, I'm going to open up the phones to you for the first time. 1-866-408-7669. What does Portland, Seattle, Los Angeles, and New York, and San Diego have in common? Guess what? They all want to or are defunding their police. Joe Biden, take a stand. They're your party. Don't go anywhere. Brian Kilmeade will be right back. With Fox News Podcasts Plus, you can enjoy all your favorite Fox News Podcasts without commercials. Subscribe now at foxnewspodcasts.com. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. How would you describe Trump's relationship with Vladimir Putin? Uh, I think Putin thinks he can play him like a fiddle. Uh, I think Putin is uh, smart, tough. I think he sees that uh, he's not faced with a serious adversary here. Uh, that is John Bolton, the National Security Advisor for 17 months for, for President Trump, who couldn't be a bigger critic. He couldn't be a bigger critic reportedly uh, than General Mattis and others. He's upset, and he's a conservative, but he does not have any friends on the left, anyhow, has had fewer on the right, except for the at the Scaramucci's of the world and the George Wills. Maybe that's enough. We do have some good news. We're getting reports now that 
they Major League Baseball has come to an agreement, the framework for an agreement, uh, to resume a 70-game season. That would be awesome. So let's hope we'll follow that. Uh, Pete will be all over that. Richard, you're in Canada. Richard, do you want to comment on the Bolton book? Yeah, Brian. Um, <clears throat> John Bolton revealed in his book private conversation he had with the president concerning North Korea, which could be very, very dangerous. Yeah. How is that not a serious crime committed by John Bolton? Uh, you know, I'm not a legal expert. It stuns me. I mean, Mike Pompeo said, you know, the president is full of it when it comes to this issue. He put that in the book. That's a conversation between the Secretary of State and National Security Advisor. What are, you, are you recording this? I mean, my goodness, I heard from shooting from inside the tent, but this is a bazooka. It's disturbing, yes. Oh. It's uh, disturbing, yeah. Thanks so much for the call. Fred, Arizona. Hey, Fred. Hello, hello Brian. Say, uh, in commenting on the, uh, the uh, events in Atlanta, the... I, I, I tend to agree with uh, the commentators about overcharging here. I'm a retired attorney, and um, in my past, I did have cases involving, um, you know, felonies and uh, of this sort. And yet there are four basic crimes that deal with felony murder rule. There's, there, there's burglary, arson, rape, and robbery, and that killing has to be in the furtherance of those those felonies. Now, Arizona, I mean, Atlanta may have added uh, uh, some more, but the assault charge is actually <clears throat> the precursor to a to the murder. You don't charge, a, uh, you point a gun at somebody and shoot them. You don't charge them with assault and murder. You can charge them with, uh, but that's a lesser included offense, and that can't be the felony. Gotcha. I want you to hear what Ted Williams said. Thanks to the legal. A lot of legal people just say, keep emotion out of it. Here's the reality. Ted Williams, an African-American uh, civil, rights attorney, uh, civil rights investigator, defense attorney. Cut 30. This is why this case, I believe, will not be, these officers will not be found guilty. It's because at that stage, unfortunately, Mr. Brooks turned and shot the taser at the officer. A taser is a weapon. A taser can be a dangerous weapon. We are not watching justice take place here. I don't give a damn about this white-black situation. These are human beings. This is a rush to judgment. This is to satisfy a crowd. Listen, I hear you. Uh, That's Ted Williams. Uh, and there's a lot going on. We have to do the Atlanta thing, how this is going to play out. It's going to be weeks. There was still protests in the streets about this, and the, the family wasn't necessarily satisfied. I just feel terrible. I feel as though you see this guy on tape, uh, Mr. Brooks, on tape for about four minutes, and he's trying to say, I just need to go two blocks. Just get walk, walk to my sister's house. I was just at my daughter's birthday party, and you know he's dead in three minutes, in five minutes. It just kills you. But if you go down to the case itself, everything was calm until they put, tried to put cuffs on him. And that's just what cops do. If you and I were pulled over and suspected of drunk driving and we failed the test, they're putting cuffs on us. And if we resisted arrest and tried to grab somebody's gun, I don't care what color you are, you're in jeopardy of getting shot. On the, this is Brian Kilmeade. Go to Show.com, Get the podcast every day of the week. 
Jason in the house, the Jason Chaffetz podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. From the Fox News Radio studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him, you love him, you want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. If you look at the previous administration, and frankly, many administrations, they did nothing on this. And we did criminal justice reform. We did tremendous uh, opportunity. Uh, if, you, if you look at the opportunities we've given everybody, but the opportunity zones have been incredible. But I signed an executive order, and a lot of that is included in what the Republicans put out today. And the Democrats, all they do is complain. You know, they complain, but they've uh, they've done nothing. They do nothing. They want to... Uh, defund and they want to abolish. They want to abolish police departments. And that's what's going to be, you know, with Biden. If you look, if he ever got in, you'd be abolishing police. Uh, you could just watch because he's not going to be running anything. Welcome back, everyone. one 408 Just looking at a decision that just came down, and it looks as though the DACA program that President Obama basically admitted was unconstitutional uh, will be upheld uh, by the Supreme Court. Uh, they voted to keep it in place. So those 500,000-plus people here brought here as kids who are now, in many cases, young adults will be allowed to stay, but their status is still very much up in the air. That would have been the leverage that maybe would have got us into comprehensive immigration reform. one 408 Meanwhile, it's time for a special guest. Now it's time to clear the airwaves for the Emmy-nominated host of Fox News Sunday. Mr. Sunday, the receptive voice, the king. Author of the new book, Countdown 19... Countdown 1945. It will drop on June 9th. Chris, you're such an asset to the show, and I'm glad to see it's really helping your career. Did I mention Countdown 1945? Got it. I see this as a feature-length movie. I am serious. This is a great story. This is going to be great, and I look forward to talking to you for the next five months about it every week we are going to talk about countdown you know this is going to be a countdown to the countdown i like it tell tell your people to put that on the uh promo next week the official brian kilmeade show countdown to the countdown ended on june 9th countdown 1945 now available at amazon barnes and noble and wherever books are sold (laughs) <laughs> we got your plug out of the way up top. I mean, don't tell me that the five gives you that type of plug. Don't tell me well, that Tucker no, Carlson gives amazing, you that type have, of plug. I have to say something. I have to, and I'm going to announce it to you and to your listeners. And, and I would say solely because of the Brian Kilmeade show, because he is the receptive voice. I have joined the club as of six o'clock last night. Wow. I am now officially a New York times bestseller. Congratulations. Well, I could not be more excited. I know that for you, it's kind of old hat. You've done this a million times. Uh, you know, is it like the Saturday Night Live host club where, like, there's a secret <laughs> club somewhere and we we're all wear blazers and we sip brandy, all of New York Times bestsellers? Don't like brandy, but tell me where you're ranked. 
Well, no, we don't need to talk about numbers. Oh, really? Okay. But I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I, I'm very excited, but I, only you would only you would uh, put put a little pin into the bubble. I'm number two on hardcover nonfiction. That's and, huge. And combined. Well, that's huge. Yeah, it is good. And then and and then in uh, the combined eBooks and all, I'm number five. So I'm very happy. I would I like to have been number one? Yes, but number two is good. You know, number two is we awesome. try harder. Who's number one? Uh, a book by Ibram Kendi about race is number one, and I'm number two. Yeah, I mean to tell you the truth, uh, that's the hottest topic in the country right now. And you made World War II uh, the second hottest topic in the country. Well, that's true. Now, right now, I do have to ask a question, and I have a feeling, given the question you asked me, I'm going to know the answer. Were you ever number one with any of your books? Only once, paperback, Thomas Jefferson uh, and the Tripoli Pirates on paperback. But, and I was number two for three weeks or four weeks behind this guy named Donald Trump Jr. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> it, it, the funny thing is you do. I mean, it sounds so silly, but you do become competitive. First of all, I'm sitting looking at Amazon maybe a dozen times a day and seeing where I am. I got up to number three there and you're looking back and forth. Uh, anyway, I'm very excited about it. And, and thank you for your support. Thank your listeners. And those of you who haven't bought copies. It is Father's a hell Day. of a good book. Yeah, Father's Day. It's perfect. And, Chris, the other thing is it's really a good book. And besides it being you, Chris Wallace, his international star, uh, it's really good. And people cannot get enough of World War II. And if you look, put on the Heroes channel, I get it on channel 179 on my cable system. I stumbled onto it a year ago. Every other show is World War II, and I always learn something new. And that's what I learned about with your book. But i like to segue to another book, John Bolton's book. <laughs> yeah. So, which incidentally, which incidentally, I have not read, but I've been seeing the Amazon, excerpts. But I'm not having, I'm, I don't have any uh, hard feelings about it that he's number one on Amazon. Well, Harry Truman's not suing you, but uh, the president is going after Bolton. He is indeed. Well, you know, here's the interesting thing about the Bolton book there certainly are a lot of shocking things in the book and damaging things in the book. And on the five yesterday, somebody asked me, you know, what did I think the political impact of it is going to be? And I may be wrong. You know, I, I just my opinion. I said, I don't think there'll be any impact at all. I think people are so locked in on Donald Trump. And, you know, you either think he's a great president and he has saved the country or you think that he's uh, tearing the country apart and he's a bad person, a bad president. And you don't want to see him. Uh, be president for four more years, and I don't think the Bolton book will make a bit of difference. Do you, do you agree with me on that? Well, I do. It's not nearly as damaging, I don't think, as when the Mike, when the uh, when the Wolf book came out and the Bob Woodward came out. People were like, "Whoa, is that really happening?" Now we're so used to it. Uh, his base is solid, but I would say this: I'm stunned by it from a John Bolton perspective more than anything else. Because I already watched, I mean, one thing about President Trump, it's all so transparent. He does so many interviews. I already know what the, he always finds a hedge. He'll find something about you. For him, for you, he, he thinks it bothers you when he says you're never going to be Mike Wallace. Right? He always finds, tries to find your weakness. And what he does is when he goes to President uh, Xi, he's like, listen, you want me another four years, right? This is the way to do things. Hey, when it comes to... Uh, when it comes to NATO, we're going to get him to spend more. What do we got to do? We're going to pull troops out. He finds a hedge. That's what he does. He wrote, he wrote about it and does it since the 1980s. And then he comes back in and does a deal. 
And John Bolton, in many ways, was the opposite of the president, especially on foreign policy. He said Iraq was a big mistake, and we're pulling out of Afghanistan, and let's get out of Syria. Why are we there to begin with? That's a, I mean, those are three things that John Bolton vehemently disagrees with. And me too, but who cares what I think? So John Bolton took the job anyway, and he thought he could convince him. And when he didn't, and he saw the way the president was making decisions, he jotted it down. But what I find astounding is if you're Mike Pompeo and you casually just mentioned, you know, on this issue, I don't think the president really is. He's full of it. And it's in the book the next day. And the president's having a private meeting with Kim Jong-un. And that's in the book while he's still in office and Kim Jong-un is still in power. I'm not the lawyer. You're not a lawyer. But that doesn't seem like you're keeping secrets. No, uh, you know, look, I will tell you, because I talked to the president-elect Trump in December of 2016, and you probably know this. He's probably done it with you. He, he will throw around and, and say, you know, what do you think of so-and-so? And, you know, my yeah. reaction is, uh, Mr. President, I'm, I'm a reporter. I'm not, a, I'm not the secretary of state here, so I don't, I don't know. But, but it was obvious from the questions he was asking that he, he was talking about Bolton. And he, I think he had two big concerns about Bolton. And one was that he was too much of a, of a hawk and a neocon, and he was one of the people who got us into Iraq. And two was the question of loyalty, because remember, George W. Bush wanted him to be his U.N. ambassador, and he couldn't get through the Senate. So uh, Bush, during a recess, named him as a recess appointment to the Senate. There was a big storm of controversy about it. Uh, At a certain point, Bolton leaves, and then he starts bashing Bush's foreign policy, the president who had expended a lot of political capital to get him into the job in the first place. And I think that I know that that uh, Donald Trump, president-elect at that point, was concerned about the issue of loyalty with John Bolton. Well, you know, it's a little bit I thought, thought to myself yesterday, it's a little bit like Jim Comey. And everybody says, you know what he should have done with Jim Comey? He should have fired him before he came in, because, uh, you know, nobody would have had any problem with him firing a guy. A new guy comes in. He wants to change uh, FBI director. Uh, he should have stuck with his original instinct, which is I can't trust this guy. So here is uh, John Bolton saying something you probably haven't seen yet. It was a clip released today from ABC Cut 31. I don't think he's fit for office. I I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. There really isn't any guiding principle uh, that I was able to discern other than uh, what's good for Donald Trump's reelection. Okay. Uh, Okay. He doesn't fit for office. Well, the same guy that ran for president, the same guy that was president that he worked for for 17 months, He's going out of his way to do what John Kelly and General Mattis and others wouldn't, even Tillerson. Well, and yes, and the interesting thing is, if you really believe that, if you really believe that he is not fit for office, why didn't he go testify before the House Judiciary Committee or the House Intelligence Committee on impeachment? You know, he started playing this game, oh, I want legal for, you know, I want a judge to decide it. And then uh, he after it goes to the Senate, he says, well, now I am ready to testify, even though a judge hasn't said it. You know, it's, it, it seems that you, you talk about uh, Donald Trump, he accusing Donald Trump of being all about Donald Trump and his reelection. It seems like John Bolton was all about John Bolton and selling books. So Robert Lighthizer had a chance to meet who's got actually got the rare he's got the unique distinction of getting praised by Senator Schumer and Speaker Pelosi and the president loves him. He's the trade rep who doesn't want any publicity. 
And he was asked about President Xi and if he was begging, as John Bolton said, begging President Xi to buy these farm products so we can get reelected. Here's what Robert Lighthizer said yesterday, cut 36. Absolutely untrue. Never happened. I was there. I have no recollection of that ever happening. I don't believe it's true. I don't believe it ever happened. He's not hedging. (laughs) No. I mean, but and and you've got uh, Pompeo saying that the note that supposedly Pompeo passed to Bolton in the middle of a meeting. I find it hard to believe that they're passing notes to each other in the middle of a meeting with Chairman Kim, uh, you know, a North Korea U.S. summit that Pompeo sent put a note saying he's so full of blank. You can fill in the blank. Uh, Bolton says never happened and said, if he's got a note for me that says that, let him produce it. You know. I don't know. You don't know. I don't know whether it's true or it's not true. Uh, as I say, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly think there are ethical questions whether Bolton should done it about the man who is commander in chief in the middle, of, you know, during his term. But having said that, you know, it's it's news. We're going to cover it. And my guess is it'll kind of come and go within about two weeks and uh, we'll have about as much lasting impact as all of these other books do. Chris, do you notice the hypocrisy in many in the other, if you flip channels, when I'm not on, you're allowed, when you flip channels to see that nobody was pointing out how dangerous these protesters were with the coronavirus, and now everyone's so concerned about Tulsa. Do you see the hypocrisy there? And I know you're going to be covering everything on Sunday, what happens on Saturday in Tulsa, but you can't have it both ways. You can't ignore the protesters in Portland, Seattle, Milwaukee, New York, uh, Minneapolis, New York City. Am I correct? Well, I, here's here's the point I would make. The people who 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 had no problems with the protests, I think that is utter hypocrisy. I mean, it's a little different because the rally is going to be indoors. Those were outdoors. But I agree. And there were some people who even said oh, these rallies are OK. Some health experts. In <laughs> fairness, there were some who we just, you know, who, who never said these are OK. And I would point out to Tony Fauci. And Tom Inglesby, uh, who's going to be a guest on Sunday on our show, from the uh, Johns Hopkins Center for Health Security. They never played both sides of the aisle on this. Some people did. They didn't. Okay. Are you sure about Fauci? Because I didn't see him at all during the protest. You did? I, I, I certainly know he didn't say they were okay. And there were some people who did say they were okay. You know, okay. part of the problem, I, I have to say, in terms of Fauci is, I mean, like, we've tried to get Fauci on the air for several weeks and the White House won't let us talk to him. So, you know, it's not like he's a free floater. He's only allowed to talk when the White House approves it. Gotcha. So, Chris, congratulations. Great Father's Day book. You got a few more days to shop. You don't get it for Chris. He got it already. He wrote it. But for everybody else, Countdown 1945 is in. I'm sorry. What, what did you say the name of that? What did you say the name of that book was? Again? Countdown 1945. <laughs> Go Thanks get him, Chris. Friend. Congratulations. Thank you. All right. Go get them and watch Fox News Sunday. Uh, meanwhile, we come back. Your turn, one 408 Then we're joined by Dan, uh, Dr. Mark Siegel. About 20 states are an increase in the coronavirus cases. What does it mean in the big picture? And what about the lockdown in Beijing? It's back. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome back, everybody. one 408 
Uh, it was great to have Chris Wallace. Congratulations to him. Uh, Missy's listening online in West Virginia. Hey, Missy. Hi, Brian. Thanks for taking my call. I wanted law, enf- to make a law enforcement, right? Uh, yes, I was. I, I retired last year. I, I listened to Chris Cuomo last night describe how the cop is wrong and the criminal in that is right. Chris Cuomo, you need a morality check because your compass is broken. You're the same person who had active COVID and went out and got called out on it, and you're the victim. You're the same person who somebody called you Frito in public, and you said that you're, you're right to be upset about it was because it's a racial pejorative, because you're Italian. Fredo is a fictional character. It's a fictional character. I don't know. Let's not talk about Chris Cuomo. Let's just just talk about the case. What what does it mean to law enforcement? The shooting is completely justified. The reason why is because the stop was for DWI. The Wendy's employee tried to wake him up and couldn't. That's why the police were called. He was stopped for DWI. He performed the tests. He failed. They offered him the, the PBT. He failed that too. They tried to cuff him. The second they put their hands on him, when he resisted, that's his second offense, resisting. He assaulted two police officers. His choice. Now, he said, my sister lives a block away. He was acting calm. I watched the whole thing. It was five minutes. Um, He hadn't taken the test yet. They kept saying, would you take this test for me? He said, I don't want to refuse anything, but I don't know anything about this test. And he took the test, and he didn't look like he was beyond drunk. Would you ever, as a law enforcement person, say, okay, you weren't driving, you were asleep in the car, it was running. Would you ever let someone go on that? And here's the reason. Because you've identified a crime. Officers take an oath of office to detect, deter, and detain for crime. We sit in a spot where people speed to get them to slow down. We do that on purpose. It's to deter it. Why? Because speed kills. You're three times more likely to be involved in an accident and possibly kill someone else. So if you get a speeding ticket, you might not like it, but if you don't want one, don't speed. I hear you. Missy, uh, thanks so much. You had so much to the show. Always appreciate it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We're going to be joined by Dr. Mark Siegelnix, Inside the Pandemic. And what about the Tulsa rally on Saturday? Would you go? I would. Don't move. Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. Information you want, truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. All we're asking is very simple. If the president wants to hold a rally here he needs to abide by the social distancing guidelines of his own cdc that has ranked indoor events such as this where there'll be singing and and shouting and it should be a singing and boisterous and shouting event and where that happens the cdc has said unequivocally that this is the highest risk event for transmission of the virus this is a super spreader event in downtown tulsa 
Welcome back, everybody. This is Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. Just seeing this uh, story about DACA. The Dreamers are allowed to stay. And the president, uh, President Obama, when he came out with an executive order to give them protections to stay in this country, he said, listen, I'm pretty sure it's not constitutional, but I'm going to do it anyway. For the third time at least that I can count unofficially, the president, the Trump administration has tried to overturn that. And thanks to John Roberts on a 5-4 decision, teaming up with the Democrats on the Supreme Court, the left-wing, uh, the left-wing version of the Supreme Court, they are allowed to stay. But their status is still up in the air. Joining us now is uh, Dr. Mark Siegel. Dr. Mark Siegel is the one who's been really bringing us through the pandemic coverage and trying to unwind the challenges of the coronavirus. Dr. Siegel, welcome back. You need to say Supreme Court Justice John Roberts, not our own John Roberts, right? <laughs> Just a joke. Yeah, I, I should really. Yeah. John Roberts has a lot of power, but not that much power. Right, yeah. exactly. So, I, hey, I uh, Dr. Siegel, I want you to hear what uh, Paul DeMauro said. He, is, uh, he filed a uh, lawsuit against the administration, excuse me, the Trump campaign for having this Tulsa rally. Cut 47. I think it's important for people to use their voice, but we also are, are in a time when, when we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so there's danger as you do it. So if you want to use your voice, do it safely, wear your mask, social distance, because coming together is a definite possibility of seeing increased infections and increased deaths from those infections. People coming together without taking precautions is what causes the, the virus to transmit. It gives the virus the ability to transmit from person to person. So, of course, we're concerned. Uh, and that was Dr. Bruce Dart after Paul DeMauro said that. Are you concerned? I wouldn't use the word concerned. I'm focused on the hypocrisy here, Brian. I think that public health is being used as a tool or a weapon, depending on a person's point of view. Deeply disturbing to me. Let me explain what I mean. First of all, I do think the rally should be held outside. And I said with you on Fox and Friends this morning that I'd like to see it over in the University of Oklahoma Stadium. But that aside, where where do these experts come up with you know, oh, this will be a super spreader event. And oh, by the way, those route, those protests that occurred in downtown Minneapolis, in New York City, in L.A., in Chicago, in every major city in the country were not a, not a risk. I mean, where did where did they come up with that from? By the way, I will tell you that if you sa- stand shoulder to shoulder with someone who's sneezing or coughing on you who had COVID nineteen, it wouldn't matter whether you're in di- indoors or outdoors. That's the kind of public health relativism we're seeing here that's that's so disturbing and by the way they like to say oklahoma is is, is having a problem with covid-19 when actually they're not, they're, they have more cases than they had. They had 96 cases in Tulsa yesterday. Okay, the state of Oklahoma had 200 cases. That's more than they had. But that's not a hot spot right now. What was a hot spot was New York City or Chicago or L.A. when the protests were going on. So I think that there needs to be more consistency here. If we have the right to protest, then we have the right to rally, too. Should masks be given out? Yes. Should hand sanitizers be given out? Yes. Should people wear masks? Yes. Should there be a way to social distance here? Yes. And do I prefer outdoors? Yes. Are the chances of spreading occurring in Tulsa, Oklahoma, at this point in time, at this event, large? No, it's small, very small. So we have eight states that are flat, roughly 20 that are decreasing and 22 that are increasing. I think that adds up to 50. Florida joins Alabama, Arizona, California, Nevada, North Carolina, Oklahoma, Oregon, South Carolina and Texas, which have seven day highs. 
So what can we learn from them? How have you been unwinding what's happening there? Uh, non-medical professionals have said, well, look at the number of tests we're actually giving. That's where the numbers are going up. Do you say that? That's where it starts. That, we, we've not, we've, we're testing, you know, 10, 20 times what we were testing a couple of weeks ago. That's where the issue starts. I also have, am getting the feeling, and I can't prove this yet. You know how I don't like to speculate. But I'm getting the feeling that this is a migratory virus in the sense that once it ravages a region, it moves on. There's no other explanation for why it would be hitting the south and the west right now and no longer the northeast when, in fact, our temperatures are cooler than the areas it's hitting now. Respiratory viruses don't like it when it's as hot as some of the regions we're seeing spread. So testing is a big part of it. And then are, are people in the, these areas obeying social distancing? But more to the point, and, and Vice President Pence wrote about this in an excellent op-ed in the Wall Street Journal the other day, what areas are actually being impacted in some of these states? Some of them you can explain by, you know, here are the meatpacking plants in, in Arizona. Uh, these nursing homes are being affected still. I mean, you know, about 40 percent of the deaths in the country are due to patients in nursing homes, Brian, many of these states have not had the proper guidelines. As you know, in New York State, the governor knew about this, that patients were being sent back to nursing homes who were COVID-19 positive. And of course, it spread there. And over 6,000 deaths resulted. So who's getting sick? Why are they getting sick? Who's being hospitalized? Those are the key questions. And your point, we're getting a lot more testing, which is leading to a lot more positive results, where we can then separate out people. You were telling me, look at Australia if you want to know where we're heading. What did you learn from looking at what Australia experienced? Well, Australia did something very smart, which we could never do here because there's so much political bickering. They shut down the whole continent of Australia for 60 days, didn't let anyone in and out, and then were very good at locking down the small number of cases they had and separating them out and restricting movement. And and so they never got a big outbreak. We were misled by China and the World Health Organization. We had probably hundreds and hundreds of thousands of cases here in the community spreading around before we even knew it. We were focused on 14 people in Washington state while it was spreading throughout our communities. By the time we decided to lock down, we had so much virus in certain areas like New York that it was impossible to prevent spread. Um, you also note uh, so did the rest of the world that China, who was mocking us and claiming that we started the virus, the U.S. Army, which is laughable, yeah. is now has to deal deal with locking down Beijing and stopping travel. Have you had a chance to look at what's happening in China? Well, and so that's that's a really important point, Brian, because I think what's happening in in China proves my point about quote, a migratory virus. Again, if we can believe anything out of China, one thing we learned early on is we, one of our mistakes was we went from saying we can't believe anything out of China, and then suddenly, you know, uh, then suddenly Dr. Fauci and, and Dr. Redfield were saying, well, we have great connections with Chinese scientists, but they were under the thumb of the Chinese government. So if we can believe anything out of China, I would say I'm not surprised that Beijing is getting hit because they didn't get hit before. So in other words, it's not Wuhan that's getting hit again. It's a different area. And here's what I'm hinting at. There may be some cross immunity from other coronavirus strains that we're seeing, especially in the younger population that could sh slow spread. And there may also be some genetic resistance patterns that we haven't identified yet. So the virus comes in, ravages a region, and then moves on. 
it may not come back. So I don't think it's an absolute foregone conclusion that we're going to see a second wave here. I think that that's not for sure the case. I want you to hear what Anthony Fauci said on Monday. We did not want them to be without the equipment that they needed. So there was not enthusiasm about going out and everybody buying a mask or getting a mask. We were afraid that that would deter away from the people who really needed it. Although there appeared to be some contradiction of you were saying this then and why you're saying this now, actually the circumstances have changed. So he's saying if I told everyone to get a mask like they were doing in China and in South Korea and in Taiwan, there would have been a scramble to get masks. And so therefore I lied to you. It's not the best answer he's ever given in his life. I mean, look, for you pointed this out on Fox and Friends this morning, which is that we could have had cloth co- coverings. I think the I think the bigger problem then was that we didn't know that there was so much virus around because I I don't think people needed to wear masks in public places if there's no virus you know it's because there's there was far more virus than we knew and then masks are an additive factor to social distancing one of the things I'm always concerned about is people got a mask on they think oh I can come right up next to you with that mask I'm protected you're protected it's not true it's got to be an additive feature but for sure what's wrong with his Dr. Fauci's answer is if you know there's virus around then you've got to go to the masks right away and if you need them for personal protective equipment per per Brian Kilmer you use cloth coverings it's absolutely right thank you yes Uh, and lastly uh, people out there right now should know that as of today the best way uh, the easiest way to get the coronavirus from somebody is well, the, be- the, e- the easiest way to get the coronavirus from someone, and we talked about this this morning, too, is coughing. Somebody coughs and sneezes on you who has it. That's always the easiest way to get it. But what was pointed out in the journal based on a recent study is that 10 percent of the people who have it are doing 80 percent of the spread. Here's why. It's somebody you're close to. So I'm worried about coughing and sneezing. That's always the biggest deal. But if someone doesn't know they have it and you're listening to a concert and you're a foot away and they're singing or they're shouting, it's about prolonged exposure. That's the point you were getting at. The the surest way to get COVID-19 is prolonged exposure to someone who has it. Not two minutes. You pass them on a street outdoors. You're not going to get it that way. Prolonged exposure indoors with poor ventilation or or worse is the coughing and sneezing. He is Dr. Mark Siegel providing free, as far as I know, I have not gotten an invoice yet, free medical advice. Dr. Siegel, thanks so much. Appreciate it. No invoice. Yes to the rallies. If we're going to have protests, yes to the rallies. Brian, thanks for having me. You got it. When we come back, we go inside the numbers, inside politics with Fox News' own Lisa Booth, Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From his mouth to to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. He's so eager to get back on his campaign to his campaign rallies that he'll put people at risk, as everyone's pointed out, in violation of the CDC guidelines. It's still warned against large gatherings as long as he's going to allow this to happen. But he's ready to do it as long as, notwithstanding CDC guidance, 
as long as the people showing up sign a waiver promising they'll not hold the campaign liable. Uh, that's a very energetic, uh, sleepy Joe Biden uh, calling out the president benignly in a way in which made no sense yesterday, just pointing out how much more responsible an adult like he'd be. All I got out of it was he could read a speech off a prompter. Uh, joining me now to discuss this and so much more is somebody no stranger to Fox and uh, Fox viewers, Lisa Booth, Fox News contributor, uh, and knows a lot of stuff about a lot of stuff. Hey, Lisa, welcome back. <laughs> hey, yeah, hey, Brian. And you can really just hear the energy and the enthusiasm in Joe Biden's voice. It's just very apparent. So, <laughs> I mean, you have somebody who's his confidant say he's better off in the basement. I've never seen anything like it. It's like, let, the, let President Trump go and make decisions, and I'll just, I'll just show you by not making those decisions how much better I would be. But yesterday's speech, I think, said it. I don't know what the heck he said. A pandemic, the coverage has been bad, he doesn't take responsibility. I don't know. The one thing about the president, he's taking too much responsibility. He's answering questions that scientists should be answering. Well, look, I, I don't really know what Joe Biden is saying on any given day, and I, I, nor do I know where he stands on any given issue. I mean, he is the politician that puts his finger in the air and then changes his policy position for both political expediency and in whatever direction the wind is going. I mean, we've seen this one on just him, you know, basically being the champion of the 1994 uh, federal crime bill and then now taking different stances today on China. He literally changed his position in a month. He said China was not competition and then turned around to say China was indeed competition. He also abandoned the Hyde Amendment and his support for it, which he had held for decades. So, you know, Joe, who knows what Joe Biden believes on anything? But look, he doesn't really have to be out there right now. He's winning by simply allowing chaos to reign in the nation, which we've seen with both the coronavirus pandemic as well as these riots, and just to sit back. And so I think the way the dynamics change is once you enter into debates, once, you know, if this, you know, riots and, you know, pandemic goes behind us a little bit and there's more of a focus on the election. And I look at it sort of like uh, with the Bloomberg situation, right? So like Michael Bloomberg was up when it was sort of this manufactured version of him when people weren't really seeing Michael Bloomberg for Michael Bloomberg. And then as soon as he entered the debates and people actually saw and Democrats actually saw what they would potentially be voting for, they rejected him. So I, I do think that once the dynamics of the election shift and once the focus becomes more on the presidential race, the polling numbers will shift, uh, but that's certainly not where we are today. Uh, that's true. Uh, I'm, so I asked this from Trump officials, and they keep saying the polls were right, wrong last time and they're going to be wrong again. I do think the president's trailing. What do you think, Lisa Booth? I, I think he's trailing right now, but I also think, look, there's always a focus on national numbers. And as you know, Brian, national numbers are irrelevant because we don't have an election that's based on the popular vote. We have an election based on the Electoral College. So for you know, listeners at home, don't pay attention to the national numbers. You pay attention to the states that matter. But I mean, look, the president's faced an unprecedented pandemic. He's faced these riots across the country. Uh, so I do think the dynamics of the race have changed. Uh, but, you know, you look at how volatile things are in the country and how volatile the news media is and these news cycles are. So I, I don't I wouldn't put too much stock with where things are today. I think things could very easily change pretty dramatically heading into the election. I think we've seen that. And now the president's going to do a rally on Saturday. Kelly McEnany was asked about the dangers of that rally. Cut 50. 
while we appreciate the great concern for our rally goers, um, you should exhibit that same concern for the protesters who are out there who are not socially distancing in many cases and not wearing masks. The media should not be making decisions about their their guidelines to us about social distancing based on political ideology or what they think is the worthiness of the cause. My point is there are good scientific reasons for treating the two events differently. One is outdoors and one is indoors. Right, and there's not good logical reason for this. So that's the one thing I would keep going back to. You see the hypocrisy there. Uh, this oh, is true. Yeah. Totally. We all saw the New York Post cover, and that's basically what I mean. It's, it's complete BS. Like, I don't know if I can say the actual word on radio, but it's complete garbage. Everyone knows it. It's completely transparent that the you know, you look at the bulk of the media, there's literally no daylight between them and the Democratic Party. They're all propagandists. And it's completely fine for thousands to ri rally in the streets or even looters and rioters to just burn down buildings, set police cars ablaze and literally be together amongst thousands or even build de Blasio being out giving speeches without a mask less than six feet away uh, from protesters and to be among them without a mask. But yet he is threatening, you know, Jewish people in the city. He's not allowing people to worship. He's not allowing businesses who are just desperately trying to survive. And likely so many of them aren't going to be able to come back and make their way back after the lockdown. And he won't let them to open. Yeah. It's complete garbage. And it's complete politics. And anyone with uh, half a brain or even wanting to be reasonably honest would admit. Gotcha. Lisa Booth, thanks so much. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show, available on iHeartRadio as a podcast. But now, now you're listening to me live. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one -on -one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everybody. I'm Brian Kilmeade. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. Still looking at the Supreme Court decision that would really prevent us from having immigration reform. Because if this DACA thing, which, just to tell you, these kids who are brought at a young age uh, by their families illegally, they become young adults and they're supposed to leave. Now, President Obama protected them. And he said, it's probably unconstitutional. I'm doing it through an executive order. Through a technicality, reportedly, John Roberts voted with the liberal wing of the Supreme Court 5-4 decision. Therefore, they get to stay for now. If they were not allowed to stay, and the president says they have no interest in throwing them out, it will provide a motivation to do comprehensive immigration reform from the lottery to everything else, uh, to chain migration. We might actually solve some problems, but now there's no hedge to do it. Therefore, we're going to have to see uh, who's going to win in November to find out if it's actually going to get done. Republicans never sign on to it. Both sides have to agree to do it. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. Uh, we're going to be joined by Carl Rove this hour, uh, finishing out this hour. But we have a lot to discuss. We have, of course, the, the big three on tap. Uh, so let's get started. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Initially, they were the attacks were on the Confederate monuments and people kind of looked the other way. But it's really interesting to see how quickly they've metastasized into attacks on Washington, attacks on Jefferson, and I think most tellingly, attacks on Abraham Lincoln. 
Uh, that is uh, a very good point, and that's why I pulled that soundbite. Uh, Dinesh D'Souza, the war in history. Now the statues are coming down. It's Columbus, it's Jefferson, it is Washington. Schools are being renamed, bases are being renamed. And now we'll find out the curriculum in our schools is less 1776 and more 1619. Disaster for our future. I'll explain. Number two. These officers will not be found guilty. It's because at that stage, unfortunately, Mr. Brooks turned and shot the taser at the officer. This is a rush to judgment. This is to satisfy a crowd. Cops charged with murder and emotions explode on both sides in Atlanta. The charges, the case, the new video, and even the president weighs in. Number one. This is not Trump's fault. It's not Obama's fault. This is a nation that needs to heal itself. Police reform is there to be had. But we don't need to be lectured to uh, by Democrats regarding police reform and our efforts because they had a chance and they did nothing. The police reform. The Senate plan is out. House uh, is out of committee. What will get done? What should be done? While Portland and Seattle uh, feature chaos in the streets and push major cities to defund cops. I thought school safety was a national issue. Now there's a big push to get police out of the schools. Does anyone remember Columbine and Parkland and Sandy Hook? Unbelievable. So let's start with uh, police reform. We know Senator Scott came out yesterday and said, I got my plan. And here it is. It's called the Justice Act. And it's going to be some principles uh, that are going to be like this. Uh, They propose uh, tracking no-knock warrants, encouraging agencies to do away with uh, chokeholds. Notice didn't ban them. Extend funding for various federal law enforcement programs. Bipartisan proposal to establish a National Criminal Justice Commission Act. That'll be good. And provide funding for de-escalation training, which is key. It's a skill like anything else. Uh, The chokeholds, they want to ban due to Democrats. No-knock warrants, they want to ban due to Democrats. Qualified immunity. That may be the biggest sticking point between Dems and Republicans, the biggest obstacle to a bipartisan deal if Democrats won't back off of it, because the president should and will not ever go along with it. That means you could sue every cop making $40,000 a year for everything they have and might have in the future. Forget it. There's enough here to make me feel optimistic they can get things done. Word is Senator Schumer is considering rolling up his sleeves and trying to get something done in committee. And when they get something to the floor, he might be able to sign off on it. So when Tim Scott came out and said, here's my plan, and Senator Lankford and others said, yeah, we help write it, we'll help explain it, Dick Durbin came out, immediately nixed it, but he added a word that was totally inappropriate. Cut three. So what we say on the Democratic side is we cannot waste this historic moment, this singular opportunity. Let's not do something that is a token, half-hearted approach. Let's focus instead on making a change that will make a difference in the future of America. So Tim Scott is a Republican. It takes a lot of crap. This was the last straw. He thought he was doing something that Republicans and Democrats could agree with, that blacks and whites understood need to be attacked in minorities and majorities, whatever it was. But when he heard the word token, he went back to the microphone. Cut four. To think that on this day, as we try to make sure that fewer people lose confidence in this nation, to have a senator from Illinois refer to this process, this bill, this this opportunity to restore hope and and confidence and trust from the American people, from African-Americans, from communities of color, to call this a token process hurts my soul. 
Yeah. Uh, you pour your heart into this. You've been looking at this. You've experienced this. Senator Lindsey Graham brought up uh, he and Scott are both senators from South Carolina. He says when uh, Senator Lindsey Graham gets pulled over, he says, I'm thinking about how can I get out of it. When Senator Tim Scott gets pulled over many more times, he's thinking, I hope this doesn't go wrong. I think only 26 percent uh, of blacks polled in the latest poll, I think it was from the YouGov poll, that said that they trust in the law enforcement. And that's got to change. So when he said that, it was a, it was a third rail. Here's Dick Durbin trying to explain himself. Cut five. I said we need to seize this historic moment. We shouldn't do something that's token, half-hearted. We have a chance to make significant change. Let's do it. He took the word token as an offensive word. I went up to him on the floor and I said, Tim, I respect you and like you so much. If it offended you, I apologize. Is that enough? Listen, I don't know. Uh, to me, if it was the other way around, it would be the raging story on every other network except ours because it doesn't rise to that level. It's up to Tim Scott to handle that. Senator Chuck Schumer, though, this is what I want. I want him to, instead of railing, go and get busy and try to change it for the better or something that he thinks his base could handle. Cut eight. The Senate Republican proposal on policing does not rise to the moment. The Democratic bill has a ban on no-knock warrants in federal drug cases, while the Republican bill only requires data on no-knock warrants. The Democratic bill has a publicly available nationwide database on misconduct. The Republican bill would keep such information almost entirely shielded from public view. It's still not a bridge too far. Let's see what comes out. It's out of committee as the House. The president has executive orders out there. Let's see what's happening. The other thing when it comes to law enforcement, I'm stunned how people have forgotten that school safety is paramount in this country and has been over the last 10 years has been a major issue almost every other month for the last 10, 15 years. So cops have been in schools. There's different surge strategies, thinking about arming teachers. Now they want cops out of schools. Sergeant Rudy Perez in Los Angeles is one of the cities they want to see cops out. They want more social workers. Cut 12. Who's going to respond to the thousands, the 153,000 calls of emergencies we received in our organization alone. But as, like I tell you, the, the vice president of the National Associate, uh, National Associate of School Resource Officers, I keep asking that question, who's going to come? Who is going to respond to these serious emergencies? Who is going to respond to the guns and recovering things that we, that we have to deal with uh, with properly trained officers, properly selected officers. And it's a, definitely a, a war. All of a sudden, we became the enemy after feeding 60 million meals in the Los Angeles Unified School District. And, and it's just very disheartening to see where we're at. Yeah, it's flabbergasted. Listen, you don't want me to write tickets? I'm a cop. Go ahead. You don't want me to do a deal with the schools? Go ahead. All right. I'll do less, but you better not cut my uh, rate or I'm doing something else. A lot of people are quitting. We're seeing it over and over. We're seeing a surge in crime in Minneapolis. What a stunner. If you start backing out of schools, backing out of cities, staying out of uh, high-risk areas because you don't want to be sued, good luck with law and order. It'll all boomerang. It'll all come back this direction. And that's what we're going to see shortly, I believe, a rise in crime and people saying, what were we thinking? And trying to blame cops who, by the way, will tell you, go jump in a lake. I quit. In Portland... In Seattle, they wanted to fund. In San Diego, when the mayor didn't, they protested at his house. In New York, they already cut $150 million out of the budget. They already pulled out in New York 
their plain clothes unit, 600 officers will be distributed through various other branches, and some will be cut back or packages to not be renewed. If Senator Joe Biden, excuse me, if Vice President Joe Biden wants to be president, he's got to come out and stand up to that and say that's contradictory. I don't agree with that. I know you've said it, but those people on the ground expect it. 50 liberal groups signed a petition to make you understand they need to defund the police. Black Lives Matter says defund the police. You cannot have it both ways. Here is Matthew Palazic. He's a tenant in the so-called chop zone. So he has a business there. They have given up three blocks and the police precinct in Seattle. They're trying to do it in Portland. They failed so far. He's gotten problems. So in the new in the city that wants to defect, essentially, in the chop zone, here's what happened. Cut 15. Dispatchers told him. We're not, we're not going in there. There's nothing we can do. We can come meet you on the outside. Um, but if it's not life-threatening, there's nothing we can do. I see that guy, same guy you broke in earlier. He's wearing different clothes now, but he, he locks eyes on me, sees me, starts walking towards me. I run inside. We're just sitting ducks all day because now every criminal in the city knows they can come into Chaz, they can do anything they want as long as it's not life-threatening, and the police won't come in and do anything about it. Now, the people of Seattle deserve better. You deserve better. These people don't know, even know what they're asking for. What does this have to do with racial justice? No police is racial justice. While they're attacking our history, our monuments, our statues, and our books. This is all coordinated in such a comprehensive fashion. I think we've got to be aware of it. It's got to be a massive pushback. And it's got to start with us. one 408 7669 Let's hear from you. Also, you can email me at briankillme.com. I'll get to some of them, too. And you can always pick up Sam Houston, the Alamo Avengers. Uh, That's a comprehensive uh, look at what happened with the Texas fight for freedom. Father's Day gift seems perfect to me. Back in a moment. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Across the country, morale is down with police departments, and I think ours is down tenfold. This has been a very tough few weeks in Atlanta, and with the tragedy of Mr. Brooks, and then on top of that, the excessive force uh, charges that were brought against the officers involved with the college students, uh, there's a lot happening in our city, and our police officers are receiving the brunt of it, quite frankly. Um, But what I will say is this, is uh, my administration's had a great working relationship with our officers. Well, then it's not going now. It's not going well now because those officers, this Garrett Rolf was faced is facing 11 charges total, underlying felony aggravated assault with a deadly weapon penalty, life without parole, a death penalty, aggravated assault with a deadly weapon penalty, one to 20 years, three counts of aggravated assault. And evidently his partner is being turned state witness, although he denies it. 
So uh, most people think he's been overcharged. The family doesn't think anything will bring back uh, Mr. Brooks. I understand that. We had a chance to see him in his last moments, talking about his kid's birthday. And he, can I just walk to my sister's house? You get it. But I also don't know too many people that when trying to be cuffed would try to beat up a cop and steal a stun gun. So uh, it's a black-white situation. This country is, uh, is on, a, uh, on a, a, I wouldn't even say a string, a short string. I'd say dental floss ready to snap. One eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine. At the same time, we see this fight against our history. Listen to this: Charleston officials say they'll defy a South Carolina law and remove a statue of uh, John C. Calhoun uh, because he was uh, pro-slavery. Catholic school alumni will call for racial justice in their curriculum. Uh, that is happening around the country. University of Virginia will change their athletic logo. Evidently, the two swords below the uh, Virginia's logo uh, indicate slavery. I did not know that. Uh, and it's never been brought up in public form before that I know of. The University of Virginia is also wrestling with the fact that this horrible person named Thomas Jefferson founded the school. So this is just the latest war in history. Washington's being taken off to uh, grammar schools across the country. Uh, unbelievable, as well as what's going on in Atlanta and what took place in Minneapolis. Paul is listening to WBRP in Louisiana. Paul. Hi, Brian. Uh, thanks for all your hard work, man. Thank you um, for listening. What's on your mind? You're an active duty well, cop right now? Uh, yes, sir. I, uh, I wanted to call on two things. I wanted to just make a comment on the qualified immunity that you keep hearing on, uh, on, on the press. Uh, in the revised statute for Louisiana, it says immunity from a liability for public entities, including fire department, law enforcement, FBI, um, all that goes into it says yeah, you can't have a cause of action against the public entity or the officers it reads into all this and stuff as long as they're acting under the law. At the end of it, it says, unless such damages was caused by willful or wanton misconduct or gross neg- negligence. So if they, if they just decide to do something on their own, as you see in certain areas, they can be sued. So you don't need another law on top of a law. Just a little thought. I had no Interesting. Thought. I never knew that. Now, now, here's the other thing. Let me test you this, Paul. So, for example, there's clear-cut things. If you go out and, and you just start beating up a guy, you're in uniform, you're like, I'm a cop, I can do whatever I want. That's clear. But it's almost everything is unclear. So you might be at any moment eligible to be sued by someone's view of your actions or the, or the judge and their point of view. That's a risk. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, I've taught some officers in, in, throughout my years, and I'll say this. I hope the other officers listen. This has always worked for me. In 20 years, I've never been on the red carpet to, to justify the use of force I've had. I've arrested over 1,000 people. And I can tell you this. And some of them, many of them had to go to the hospital because they were resisting. I will say this. If you treat every person like a member of your family, only they're slightly crazy, you're usually okay. Because you're not going to stomp <laughs> on your mama's neck for nine minutes, for God's sake. You know, anyway. Um, Which of you of Atlanta? Like- Which of you of Atlanta? Atlanta, he's, he, the officers are going to be found innocent. It's going to go through, and it's going to cause another riot, of course, and all kind of stuff. I mean, um, he, was, he was within use of force. It's, it's without a, you know, he, there's a doubt. He turns around. He, he, you could see it in the video that he fires it. I don't know. You don't know what it is that when you're running behind somebody and you're in tunnel vision and you're sweating and you just fought a guy. You don't know what that is. You don't. You didn't have time to. Well, of course, he did have the. Did pat him down. So he probably he may have known that it was a taser. Still, he's still within his rights. 
You know, I've seen pictures of, of, of taser darts that went in people's eyes. They're, you know, think it can happen. So when you're in that gotcha. position, you, it's quick to, it's easy to judge somebody like that. Paul, let me ask something. Did you watch yeah, the tape when Rayshard Brooks was saying, I live a block away, can I just walk home? Now, now I, just real quick, I only have 20 seconds. Would you have let them ever go? Walk? May, if yep. he was intoxicated, if they were trying to arrest him, they, they had, I, you know, everything's probably not. I, I, if they were trying to arrest him, once they put hands on him, you know, he resisted. It's, it's beyond that. He didn't get a chance. It's, it's over. Gotcha. I hear you, Paul. I, I don't know many people that resist and don't go to jail. Uh, Paul, thanks so much. Appreciate what you do for people of Louisiana. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Initially, they were the attacks were on the Confederate monuments and people kind of looked the other way. But it's really interesting to see how quickly they've metastasized into attacks on Washington, attacks on Jefferson, and I think most tellingly, attacks on Abraham Lincoln. Because right away, we have a puzzle. Here is America's greatest president, the guy who freed the slaves. Uh, and why pull down his monument? Why go after him? I think the answer is that the left secretly hates Lincoln because Lincoln was actually very effective in un masking the Democratic Party. Dinesh D'Souza last night with Laura Ingram. Dinesh D'Souza last night with Laura Ingram. And I just thought that was worthy of bringing back because I could point out 15 different items, small and large, of items, of monuments, of schools being renamed, petitions to have things pulled down that is taking place right now across our country. At the same time, we got the civil unrest and the pandemic to deal with. And Carl Rove is with us to put this all in perspective. Carl, you brought up a great analogy. Mahatma Gandhi, South Africa. As great as Gandhi yeah. was, we use Gandhi as a saint-like uh, human being. No, we can't, because of some of his statements uh, that are racially unsensitive, let's say, uh, from in, when he was in South Africa. So well, where are we going with this, Carl? I never saw well, this coming. Yeah, look, it's, it's, it's out of control, uh, and you're right. I mean, we're trying to judge historical figures not by the historical context in which they lived but by our latest you know woke theory and uh and if you're going to do that great do that but apply it to everybody so mahatma gandhi the you know the, the paragon of nonviolence, uh spent uh, time as a as a young man in south africa and you said insensitive i'd say offensive and even bigoted comments about black africans should we now take all the good that he did in his life and his other thoughts and opinions and erase them? Uh, because he didn't think the same way that we think today. So, you know, the Abraham Lincoln thing is, is really puzzling to me because the, 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 this popped up most recently in Boston. And the, and, the, and the statue there is of Lincoln standing and a newly free, free black slave uh, kneeling. And Lincoln is got his outstretched arm to indicate, rise, you are, you are free. We are, we are equals. So he is asking the slave to, to, to rise and be his equal. And, and somehow or another, this is offensive. I mean, we, we, we are historically ignorant, and our ignorance is showing. So I'm reading the Frederick Douglass book doing a lot of work on his background and seeing how he combined with Lincoln to do the best we can to bring our country out of what we're about to change, a dramatic change in the country after the Civil War. And Frederick Douglass was asked to speak in front of that very statue. It was funded 
by freed slaves. And it was designed uh, in a way that everyone of that time thought was the perfect symbol of what this country was going through. We used to study yeah. stuff like that. And I used to do, you know, we used to decide if we're doing papers on that. Now, all of a sudden, we're judging this. And if you want to look back at Lincoln, colonization, not a great thing. Let's take African-Americans who are here, say, sorry, we're going to send you back where you were. That was Frederick Douglass was offended. He goes, I want to be an American. Well, I don't know anything about Africa. I don't know anything about South America. I'm not going anywhere. So yeah. why were they Douglas, in the 1860? They were more they loved our country more than they do now. Yeah. Look, it's Frederick Douglass realized that Lincoln was in a journey, a journey in his life from having bigoted thoughts about blacks, but believing in the Declaration of Independence that all men are created and equal and endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Lincoln believed that in the marrow of his bones. And so he had a conflict in his own life, how to square his belief in the Declaration with the opinions of his time. And over the course of, of the 18, late 1840s and the 1850s, he became more and more convinced that slavery was an evil and had to be overcome. And during the war, he entered the war not to end slavery, but to save the Union. And then by the end of the war, realized that in order to save the Union, he had to end slavery. And uh, Douglas saw this journey, which is why, after Lincoln was assassinated, that he, could, that, that he pronounced him one of the greatest men of all time because of this journey that he had been on. And it is a symbolic journey for America. No, did we start out perfect? No, but we set a high standard for ourselves, and we've been striving ever since to get there. But this idea that somehow or another, you know, we're, we're going to judge people by what we think today, because, you know, Lincoln or Washington or Jefferson had an opinion on a subject different than today, they're somehow worthy of condemnation and unworthy of our respect and appreciation for what they did to make our country great, it is, as I said before, historical ignorance. And that, you know, those who don't understand history are not only doomed to repeat it, but they're also doomed to suffer its worst excesses. So, Carl, I think that if anyone really cared about the country and is in politics, they have to start looking at Board of Education, curriculum. And we don't want the federal government deciding what every town should study and every school district should focus on. But if we don't do something now, in 10, 15 years, people are going to be talking about Washington as some flawed figure. It's going to be Mount Vernon is going to be shut down and there's going to be condos there. And at first, if you told me that five years ago, I would laugh. But Trump was right when he said, what's next? Washington and Jefferson, when they were talking about taking down uh, Robert E. Lee's statue. And it is. It's happened. Yeah, uh, it's funny you should mention this. This morning, I had an email exchange. A friend of mine read my Wall Street Journal column and sent me, uh, sent me a note about it. Uh, and uh, we, we ended up checking back and forth with each other. How are you doing? And he said, he, he told me this. This is very interesting. I'm going to read it to you. I'm not going to give you his name. But he said, for the past four years, I've taught a graduate-level course at his alma mater on the foundations of American political institutions. And he is getting questions in this class, which is at a school that is a conservative Christian university. Why should we care about this stuff from the founding fathers they were slave owners, and the foundations of the country are morally corrupt. And I said to him, well, that says something about our K-1 through 12 education system, doesn't it? Because where do these opinions arrive from? They arrive from what kids are taught in elementary and middle school and high school. So by the time they get to college, you know, the educational bureaucracy has already sort of slanted them 
against the American experience. And, and you know, it's amazing. Like you, I'm amazed by it because the history of America is a history of ever, almost ever increasing opportunity and of certain striving towards the, towards the goals of the founders, which were embodied in our Constitution and before that in the Declaration of Independence. Two of the most powerful documents that the history has ever seen. And that we, we degrade them, we discard uh, the perceptions of America as a great country, and we degrade ourselves by doing so. The last perfect person, as, it's, as the saying goes, was nailed to a cross. Uh, the rest are flawed. Uh, FDR, constantly lauded. Uh, then, you know, everyone's people talk about the New Deal and with the, you know, how we would have come out of the Depression anyway. Let's, that, that was a debate. Those are the good old days. Now, let's start taking the FDR down because of Japanese internment camps. Also, he wasn't, he didn't desegregate, desegregate our military, did he? No. So he saw no, a difference between blacks and whites. I heard Eisenhower had Robert E. Lee's bust in the Oval Office. Get rid of him. Yeah. Well, and look, I'm, I'm, I, I, I understand the, the symbolism of Confederate figures in, in the black community. I understand this, particularly in the South. I'm, I'm sort of I'm a so Southerner, but, but, but I have I have Northern sentiments, and I do believe these this, those decisions ought to be left up to the local communities because at the local level that they will serve the truest expression of what uh, people in that in that town want to yep. see or hear. But but the idea that we're going to erase these figures from our history. I mean, we, we, we take the bet. Yes, Lee turned his back on his country and led the Confederate armies for nearly four and a half years. On the other hand, in the aftermath of the war, he helped bring about reconciliation. And we, we, we could not be the nation that we are if we had had a, 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 a quarter of our country, the South, uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a, not reconciled to the Union. Now, does that mean that we had tensions? Does it mean that, that does that in any way, shape, or form bless the Redeemers who wiped out the black Republican vote in the South with violence on a scale that is hard for the modern mind to get its hand around? No, absolutely not. But it, 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 we are a great nation because we were able to find our way through that eventually. And yes, did it take too long? Yes. Did, did, did it take an unusual individual to to really give the, the fight for civil rights a shot in the arm, the man in the, in the form of Lyndon Baines Johnson? Yes. But, you know, the, the, the people who are constantly trying to find fault with our country uh, are, are, are blind to the great genius of our system and the great success that we've had in taking out of many, creating one, the American people. Yeah, and no one could touch your knowledge on this. Um, I could go to you with the smallest ordinance in the smallest town, and you'll have an opinion on it, and I can talk about the biggest issue, and you'll have a view on it. It's unbelievable, and I would say that behind your back, Carl. Uh, talking about behind <laughs> your back, uh, I'm serious. I've never seen someone uh, so conversant on so many issues. Uh, but John Bolton, I loved having him on the radio show on a regular basis. I knew exactly yeah. where he stood. Yeah. I understood that he rankled a lot of people. Here's a little of what he said, uh, says in his 500-plus page book, Cut 31. I don't think he's fit for office. I, I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. There really isn't any guiding principle uh, that I was able to discern other than uh, what's good for Donald Trump's reelection. And it gets, uh, in some cases, gets worse there as he, as he talks about other conversations. What's your take from what you know of the book? Well, I, I know only what I've read in the pay, in the newspapers. I, I, there are two things. One is, uh, on a personal level, I I, 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 I I had to deal with these books during the Bush years. Um, 
not so much from people who served in the administration, but from people who have made it a habit to sort of write about history in the in the in the in the moment. And sometimes it didn't match at all with the reality that I knew. And in other instances, it showed a depth of knowledge that I wasn't certain was available to somebody on the outside. Historians say, I once heard an historian give a talk who said the most important question as an historian that he faced was, was answering, how do we know that? And my trouble with these books like John's is that how do we know that's true? And uh, only time is going to allow us to, to, to sift that out. Let me give you one example. And, and I've known John a long time, and I have enormous respect for him. And when uh, the question came up, you know, he was going to be opposed by the Democrats in the Senate, I was one of the people who advocated during the Bush years that, he, that the president go ahead and make a recess appointment of him as the ambassador of the United Nations. He was being treated unfairly by Senate Democrats. He would do a good job, and he did a good job. So I say that with some affection and respect for, for John. But here's the problem with books like this, written in the moment. He says that the president made certain statements about, uh, to, in a meeting with the Chinese about the American election and the importance of the Chinese to the election. On the other hand, the U.S. trade negotiator, Robert Lighthouser, who's under oath in front of the U.S. Congress yesterday, says, I was in the meeting and no such thing happened. I, I would have remembered it and I would have been taken aback by it. So we're left with he said, he said. And, and, and frankly, these things will only be sorted out in, in the fullness of time when the president's papers and archives become public and when more people in, in, in the days after the administration is over, whether it's you know, next, next year or four years after that, only then will we be able to get a true picture. So this will, you know, as a, poli- as a political guy, I look at this and say the president is going to be in the barrel for as long as he keeps talking about this. So uh, accept the fact that this week there's going to be lots of newspaper stories about it, but his team ought to be looking for a way to change the subject and not have him continue to talk about this because it's going to be what it's going to be, and talking about it and picking a fight with with, uh, with Bolton is only going to, uh, to make that, 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 that time in the barrel go longer. Do you feel the same way about his niece? Because Mary Trump, I guess uh, Fred's daughter, is coming out. With the book, how would you handle that? Well, uh, they, you know, they're trying to, they, they claim they've got an, a non-disclosure agreement and so forth. But uh, again, it has to go to what, what is the nature of the allegations and are there people like Lighthouser who in this instance steps forward and says, uh, this, this moment is publicized in the book, and I, I, but I, I was there and that wasn't what happened. Uh, we also heard a pretty strong comment from Pompeo saying uh, that, that uh, an incident involving him and a supposed note uh, under no circumstances happened and, and called upon uh, Bolton to produce the note if he claimed he had it. Uh, so, you know, I, that's one of the things that's troubling about this. We've we got more important things to do as a country than to argue over the reminiscence of somebody who left the administration and uh, you know, the, the people who are being asked to comment on this are, have, have other important things to do. The book is not, in my opinion, going to sway people. If you didn't like Trump, you're going to continue to not like Trump. If yeah. you like Trump, you're not going to be affected by this. But it is going to chew up time on the clock. We have 138 days for the election. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to chew up four or five or six more days. Uh, it's going to give a talking point to Joe Biden. But I think at the end of the day, uh, it, 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 as a matter of what, are, what, what is true or not, we're not going to know that for a while. 
uh, until the, the preponderances of evidence comes down on one right. side or another about the specific instances. But in terms of the short-term political impact, it's going to chew up days that would be better devoted to other subjects from, uh, from the president's perspective. I hear And Carl, I'm already over, but real quick, you know what it is substantive? If I'm Kim Jong-un, if I am, if I am sitting in a meeting with the Turkish leader and my Robert O'Brien's there, I might be looking and go, are you writing the book next? Are you going to disclose what's going to happen here next? Because these were, these yeah. were secret conversations having to do with national security. Final thought? Uh, I think there's something to that. I mean, that's why, uh, you know, people, uh, uh, I, I know this was an issue for Richard, uh, for Dick, Vice President Dick Cheney, and it was an issue for Condi Rice. Uh, you know, they, 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 they both, both, both wrote memoirs, and both of them had to be concerned with what was appropriate to include and what was in the interest of the nation, uh, best left un- untalked about in those books. So, yeah, it's a, it's an, that's, that is an issue. And, and, and foreign leaders do judge America in a different way. I mean, they're, they look at these kind of, uh, of political controversies, and it does affect their behavior in their dealings with the United States. Absolutely. Uh, Carl Rove, it was great to talk to you. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You bet. You too, sir. You got it. one 408 We'll finish up with you. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. You would like to see him get another shot. I found that interesting. Yeah, if he has the ability. Look, you know, he can only get it if he has the ability. They're not going to lose games because of, you know, wanting to be politically correct or whatever term you might. Well, I don't know if that's politically correct or the opposite. But if he has the ability, look, he was a great rookie, and his second year was great. And then after that, he started going downhill rather rapidly, and then he was out of football, and then he started suing everybody. And uh, I think he made a lot more money doing that than he did with uh, football. <laughs> How does the president know all this stuff? But he's right. I, I think he's softening his image intentionally, and I don't think there's anything wrong with it on this whole race issue. It's not, uh, and pun intended, as black and white as it was. And I think it's good because there are real issues of racial disparity in this country, and they need to be attacked in a non-emotional, bad guy, good guy way. And I don't think it's time to go into stats and say there's more of a chance of, of a white officer shooting another a white assailant as opposed to a black I don't think that helps. Let's just find out what the issues are in a level-headed way and then try to solve it. So, good news. Uh, iHeartRadio will now, the iHeart app, will now carry our show as a podcast. You can't listen to us live. Yet iTunes and Spotify and BrianKilmeadeShow.com. There's no reason for you not to listen on a daily basis, as well as watching us on Fox Nation, America's most exciting app. I'm Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening. Keep it here on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.